Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Good morning, friends, and welcome back to another excursion into God's Word. Uh, In this particular episode, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 11, and we're going to jump into verse number 8 in the middle of a message that Jeremiah has received from the Lord and now is beginning to proclaim. God says, okay, you've received it. You've said amen to it, but now you have to do something with it. And I think that's a great template for all of us, don't you? We receive the word of God. We ought to say amen to its truth, whether it's good or bad, whether we like it or not. And then we ought to do something with it. Now, in Jeremiah's case, his job was to proclaim it. Look at verse number eight of our text, Jeremiah 11, verse eight. Yet they obeyed not. So proclaim this word, but they didn't obey, just like the fathers did not obey when I proclaimed the word. They obeyed not, nor inclined their ear. So it was more than just disobedience, but they didn't incline the ear. They didn't obey because they didn't want to hear. I think sometimes we rebel against a message before we ever even really hear a message. Like we tune out. We don't want to hear it. We distract ourselves during the preaching time, or we let our minds wander during that Bible reading time. We're not inclining our ears. We're not on the edge of our seat, proverbially. So the Bible says that they obeyed not nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their own heart, of their evil heart, it says here. And we talked about this last chapter, how unwise, how dangerous it is for us to trade the tried and true counsel of God's word for the very dangerous counsel of our own heart's desire. The Bible says the evil heart here. Verse number eight, therefore, because you won't listen to me and you only listen to yourself because you won't follow my dictates, but you'll only follow your desires. Watch verse eight. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. So Jeremiah, just let these people know that we entered an agreement. That's what a covenant is, an agreement between two parties, each each side having conditions. And God said, I've kept my part of the bargain. I've done what I promised to do, but, but your fathers, your people, and you have not. And so I'm simply going to I'm simply going to follow what this covenant said. It's already there. I'm going to just let this document speak because I've already built in the punishment. I've already built in the consequence and you knew what it was. So this should take you by no surprise that I am now putting in force what we both agreed to. We had our eyes wide open when we made this covenant together and you are more than willing to follow me when I could give you something. But as soon as you got what you wanted, you forgot about your side of the covenant, didn't you? 
verse number nine. And the Lord said unto me, a conspiracy. What a word. Sometimes we talk about conspiracy theories, right? So a conspiracy. Think about that. A conspiracy is that in which people conspire. Uh, They are agreeing together to do something evil. They're agreeing together to do something secretly wrong and nefarious. What the Bible says here, uh, the the Lord said unto me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are in the whole city is just kind of getting behind closed doors and kind of rubbing their hands together and making these plans to uh, violate the law of God. But what it does mean is that people have decided together that they're not going to follow God. They have agreed together that they are not going to worship God, that they are going to follow false gods, that they're going to chase the evil imagination of their heart, that they're going to worship Baal and all the things that we're going to see unfold in this message. This has been a volitional, intentional thing on the part of the people, and they're doing it They're doing it together. They're conspiring. Look at verse number 10. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers. What they're doing is what their dads did. What what they're deciding is what their history tells us about them. Because the Bible says they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. So this is like deja vu. The the people of this day are repeating the sinful behavior and habits of their forefathers who also disobeyed, who also chased their own heart, who also violated my covenant. And so why should I treat this generation as the exception to the rule? when they're doing the same kinds of things that their forefathers did. Verse number 11, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So here's what's going to happen. And God is reiterating what he just said. I'm going to allow the curses of this covenant to now take place. That that shouldn't surprise you because you rehearsed those blessings and cursings. I made you say them out loud. So you've gone into this rebellion with your eyes wide open. Now, I'm going to allow these circumstances to speak to you because my word is obviously going in one ear and out the other ear. And when you, at that point, because of the pain of these circumstances, because of the Babylonian attack, when you begin to cry unto me, I'm not going to listen. Now, that sounds cold-hearted, but understand this, there does come a line to the mercy of God. They They have not been listening to God all of these years. And now, don't think that just in some superficial way, oh, now all of a sudden things are painful. Lord, okay, I'm not listening. You've refused to listen to me. I refuse to listen to you. It's Isaiah chapter 59. 
The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, God chooses not to hear us when we choose not to hear him. So don't be so incredulous when this happens. Verse number 12, then shall the cities of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense. Is that not interesting? So we get this idea, well, that's not not fair. Uh, These people are going to be crying to God. Oh, God, save us. The Babylonians are coming and God's not going to listen. That's not fair. But wait a minute. The next verse says, then they'll go cry unto their false gods, which tells me that their cry in the first place was disingenuous. They weren't repenting. They weren't investing faith in God. They were looking for an out. They were looking for a way to relieve their distress. They weren't looking for true repentance. They were just looking for the removal of consequences. I wonder sometimes in our response in our lives, if we're not looking for the removal of consequences instead of really enacting true repentance to the Lord. So here they, God won't listen. So they're going praying to their false gods, unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they, those false gods, they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Well, of course not. We've already been through this because they're not real gods at all. They find out when push comes to shove that all of their trust, all of their confidence has been ill-placed, has been misplaced. Because at the time when they need help most, they're getting it the least. They're getting it from nobody because they're asking for it from gods that don't even exist. Verse number 13, for according to the number of thy cities, the Lord says about the people, according to the number of thy cities were thy gods. See what God's saying there? It's like you have a God for every occasion. It's like you have a God in every city. It's like every city has its special God. Every uh, street has its special emblem. Look at it. According to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. How very, very sad that they had a God for every occasion. They had a God for every location. It seemed like uh, everybody had these divided loyalties, but nobody was truly following the true God, the God of gods. Look at one last verse with me, would you? Verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord says, pray not thou for this people. Now we've seen this verse before. We've seen God say this to Jeremiah on another occasion. So Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Don't pray for them, which I find a little bit sweet because I think the implication is that Jeremiah's knee-jerk reaction to such judgment and Jeremiah's knee-jerk reaction to such sorrow is, I'm praying for my people. I'm praying they change. I'm praying they make the right choice. So I think that says much about Jeremiah, but think about it. The Lord says, don't pray for them. Why? Neither lift up thy voice or prayer for them, for I will not hear them. 
I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love. It doesn't mean that the covenant is not true. It doesn't mean that God does not is not predisposed to mercy. Indeed, he is. But what it does mean is if, if all God does is when things get really, really bad and God's people say, okay, okay, and then he gives in to them, then really what behavior is God fertilizing? He's fertilizing the behavior of desperation. And boy, when things get desperate, okay, okay. It's kind of like the, the child that won't clean his room. Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, or else clean your room. And the child's like, I will, I will, I will, later, later, later. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Uh, clean your room or else, you, or else. Then finally, it's like, okay, that's fine. No dinner, you're going to bed. Okay, I'll clean my room. I'll clean. Now, if, if the parent at that point says, all right, okay, I'll let you have dinner and stay up late, and th- then really what has he done? He's only fertilized the procrastination, hasn't he? So when the Lord says, I'm not going to hear your prayer now, that's really not a matter of God's uh, hardness or his uh, harshness. It's really a matter of, I love you too much to say yes to you, to your desperation. I love you too much. By saying yes, that'll simply underscore and fertilize your bad and procrastinating behavior. So that's a, a tough pill to swallow, but we can understand exactly what God would say that. We're going to come back to verse number 15. These are really special verses. Hope you'll join us for them. So Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 15, we'll start that uh, next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.